you guys did a great job. Good job. Let's give them a hand. Yes. supposed to give a little children's sermon right there, and I'm just going to roll that right into my message, okay? But that was incredible. Thank you so much. And if you have children here today, I'm happy to let you know that there's an opportunity for them to transition into a special service for them. And so um, feel free to do that at this time if you have children that would like to be a part of Children's Church. We have almost a full house here this morning. Man, this is great. You know, a preacher can get used to this really easily. So good to have you here today. So uh, it's been an incredible weekend. Like I said, I'm Pastor Joey, and I'm one of the pastors here at Stones Hill. Um, And we want to welcome you to this Easter day, 2023. And today I'm going to talk to you about three words to change your Easter. Three words that will change your Easter. Okay, and we're going to go over those three words in just a moment. Um, So in Indy... Uh, yesterday, actually Carmel, the city of Carmel yesterday, I'm running this race and I'm trying to break the age group record because I just turned 55 recently. And so I'm going to try to age into a record. So I'm working so hard to try to break this age group record in the Carmel half marathon. Beautiful day. And somewhere between mile six and mile seven, out of the blue, echoing on the pavement and the sidewalks, I hear in a very loud, surprised voice, Joey, really loud. And it's like, I had no idea that anyone I knew was at this race. And so it's just echoes through the, over the streets. And I was like, at first, the first thing I thought, I better duck. So I almost ducked when I heard my name like that. And so I've really concentrated on trying to break this thing. And so I look over and I see grinning from ear to ear, one of the biggest grins I've ever seen her make. And it was Madison Hilbish Beachy on the, on the, yes. And the newly married Hilbish Beachy uh, team was there um, to uh, cheer for someone else. I happened to run by, she saw and recognized me and she just yelled out, Joey. And she was so filled with enthusiasm and excitement. And I don't know exactly, I'm still trying to recall what happened after that, okay? But we made it through that thing, but it was incredible for me because it gave me so much energy and excitement to keep on this goal that I had of trying to do this thing. Okay, and so I was thinking about that in the truck coming home, and I thought, you know, I bet on Easter morning when no one expected to see someone that they knew, that they knew from their past, and they see him out of the blue, and you can imagine, it wasn't just Joey, someone I know from the past, you know, the, Jesus, what are you doing here? This is crazy. Where did you come? What happened? I mean, the, the cross and, and, and the, 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 uh, uh, the crucifixion and the death and the burial. What are you doing here? Joey, it's not Joey, it's Jesus. And I have a sense that that happened several times in a post-resurrected Jesus, appearances of Jesus in the, in the Gospels. And maybe... Maybe this morning, that's what we need. 
And that is a fresh revelation of Jesus. You know, there's a Jesus Revolution movie that's, that's come out recently. And I was able to, to see that over uh, spring break. And we had kind of an impromptu Stones Hill meeting at the back of the theater because some other people had the same idea. It was incredible. And in our conversations um, at the back of the theater in Warsaw, Donette had said that she had heard someone talk about the fact that, you know, we talk, we talk about, a lot about revival and revolution, but that she had heard one lady say that maybe it's not so much revolution that we need, but it's a new revelation. It's a new insight, a fresh insight on an old story that maybe in the revelation of Jesus, there is a revolution. And this morning, I want to talk to you about three words that will give all of us a greater revelation of who Jesus is. And when we see who he is and what he's about, then we get to this place of revolution of what he's trying to do in the world. Now, now listen, uh, slide number 24, if you would, for me. So it's 1970 at Corona Del Mar in Southern California. And there's this outcropping of cliffs that form a natural amphitheater near the mouth of the harbor. And the sun is setting. And you can't really see all of that in this particular picture. It's an older black and white picture. The sun is setting. There's people, especially the youth, are perched up on the rocks, as you can see here. There's, some of them are sitting in the sand. They're standing in the shallows of the water and arms around each other. They're singing, and it was a, the formation of a revolution in the 1970s. Greg Laurie goes on to explain in his book, um, The Jesus Revolution. He says that not beyond this beach scene, there was a, not, a lot of other things happening in the world. Um, so the Vietnam War was raging. Um, there were protests that were breaking out in the streets. There was anarchy and chaos. Some of you here lived through this era of time. And the slogan of the day, says Lori, was turn on, tune in, and drop out. And that's what a lot of people were doing, especially America's youth. Um, slide 22, if you would, for me. Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, they ruled the airwaves. And um, through, even though they were at the top of their careers, it was drugs that will eventually take their lives, both of their lives, within a year of, of, the, of the, revo the Jesus revolution that's depicted here in 1970. Uh, some of the flower children went on an LSD trip and they never came back from it. And the hippie movement, um, it was born of drugs, sex, rock and roll, and it started to crash because you can only go so, you can only roll so far and go for so long, and then sometimes that road leads you to a pretty desolate place, and that's exactly what happened. Of course, Woodstock, mid-August 1969, half a million young people gathered in a, New York, uh, in a New York dairy farm, at a New York dairy farm, rain, mud, drugs for four days. They tried to get back to the garden, and the church didn't know what to do. Time Magazine came out with an article in 1966. The cover story was, Is God Dead? Slide 23 for me. Slide 23, Is God Dead? And, and a lot of liberal and Protestant pastors bought into that movement, that, that the idea of God 
and the moral restraint of God, that's dead. We've moved past it. And that, that created a lot of consternation in the hearts and minds of families and young people in churches. Well, it was about five years after that news article ran in, in Time magazine that they ran another article, and, the, and this article was entitled The Jesus Revolution. Five years later, The Jesus Revolution is the cover story in Time magazine in 1971. And they put a depiction of Jesus on the cover under the banner, The Jesus Revolution. You know, I got curious. Um, you, you know, you can get that magazine, that original Time magazine, 1971 magazine off of eBay for a cheap, measly $1,500. Anybody happen to have a copy of that you want to get rid of? Okay, $1,500 on eBay. Or you can search and find a digital copy of the article and read it for free. Guess which one I did this week? You got it. All right. And it's interesting to me because what that article reveals is that this was a movement, a Jesus revolution movement that made inroads into the Protestant world. It made inroads into the Catholic world, if that's your background. It made an inroad into the hippie cultures and the subcultures. And this thing reverberated this message of Jesus and the power of Jesus in a post-is-God-dead question era and culture in a time of chaos and anarchy and, and, and destruction and death and, and the, and the uh, power of drugs and pandemics and things that, uh, they, that they were dealing with in that, in that time and we're dealing with in our time, okay? This thing got traction and it went to places like Notre Dame and Hollywood and the surf culture and the music world. People begin to realize the emptiness of life that somehow we have got to get back to the garden. That we're, the way we're doing life and the way we're processing life and dealing with the issues of life, that, that somehow this worldview has been lost for, for what God has envisioned for the world. And so we're, we're lost and we've got we to gotta figure this out, how to get back to the garden. And you know, uh, when, you, when you think about Easter and you think about these three words of Easter, I think there's these three words that help all of us get insight on how to get back to the garden. Slide number two, if you would, for me. Slide number two, the story of Easter this year in 2023, and it's really an enduring story for every year. Really, this message could be summarized in three words, curtains, anchors, and tombs. On the count of three, I want you to say curtains. One, two, three, curtains. Let's do it with the next word. One, two, three. Anchors. And everybody together say tombs. One, two, three. Tombs. Yeah. The message today will center on those three ideas. Curtains, anchors, and tombs. Have you ever been on the outside of something wondering what it would be like on the inside or on the other side of the curtain? You see, that's what the young hippie generation of the 70s was, was going on then, it's going on now. What is it like to know God? What is it like to have a family where you actually have a mother and a father that live with you your whole life while you're living at home? You see, people are on the other side of the curtain and they're wondering what is on the other side of that thing. Is there, it's almost like there's something in life I'm on the outside of and I don't know what it is and I can't put my thumb on it, but I'm trying to get in. I'm trying to get to the inside beyond the curtain. 
Have you ever felt woefully inadequate for the storms of life and you wonder why you feel so adrift at sea? A lot of people feel like they need an anchor, okay, an anchor. So we're on the outside of something. We're not sure what it is. We're trying to get back to the garden, as it were. We also feel this instability. We need to anchor to something. We don't know what that is. Or maybe, maybe you have felt spiritually dead inside and you wanted so much to have a transcendent purpose in life to live for. You just feel like spiritually dead and you want to just not just breathe to be alive but you want to really be alive and so there's this sense of spiritual uh, burial this tomb the spiritual tomb that we live in that we're trying to break out of curtains anchors tombs and we really could sum it all up in the question do you have you ever felt homesick at home you're home but you sense something's missing Uh, Tim Keller writes, the condition of the whole human race is homelessness and exile writ large. We feel cut off from something like something is missing. I want to talk to you about that. I want to address that felt need this morning on this Easter 2023. In fact, if you would pull up slide number three for me. Slide number three, the last verse in Genesis chapter three, God says, uh, the word, says here in Genesis that God placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. A cherub is singular, a cherubim is plural. There's two, at least two, maybe more. But he places on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now among the many implications in Genesis 3.24 One of the things that we can say, one of the main implications of that verse is that anyone who will lead you back to the tree of life and give you eternal life is going to have to go under the sword. There's no free way back in. That these cherubim are guarding the Garden of Eden. They're guarding the tree of life. And and one of the reasons God sets sets it up that way is that he doesn't want mankind to partake of the tree of life while living in their fallen state. And so he guards the garden and the tree to keep mankind from from partaking of the tree of life and living forever in a fallen state. And so God has to send them out of the garden. These cherubim are guarding the gate, not letting them in. And in fact, that existed for about 1,600 years. The global flood that Genesis writes about and tells us about, it wiped out the Garden of Eden. But for about 1,600 years, those cherubim with those flaming swords guarded the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life, lest a man or woman would partake of it and live forever in their fallen state. That's Genesis chapter 3. And ever since then, We have been longing to get back to the garden, and we don't know how to go about doing it. We feel cut off from something that we're not sure how to explain. And so long before Woodstock, long before the Jesus Revolution of the 70s, this longing was so great in the heart and mind of the Jewish people that they built tabernacles and temples, tabernacle in the Old Testament, a temple in the New Testament. They built these things to to be little mini replicas of the Garden of Eden. 
And so you would have these large curtain of purple and scarlet that's embroidered with palm trees and grass and this veil that separated different parts of the tabernacle and temple area and all of the, of the decor, even the, the golden menorah or lampstand, it represented the tree of life. Everything about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the temple in the New Testament, everything was designed to replicate a garden of Eden that we're trying to get back into and we're not sure how to go about it and how to deal with this thing called the indwelt presence of God and the power of God and the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And so this whole thing was set up to try to replicate, hey, we know there's a problem. We're not sure how best to go about this. And, of course, God helps them with this. Slide number eight, if you would, for me. This is kind of a, an idea of what that looked like in the tabernacle era. You can see the, the purple and the blue, and you can see some of the cherubim there on the curtain and the, and the menorah, and that's the Old Testament, and that's the tabernacle. Slide number nine, if you would, for me. Give it, let's give them a visual on this. Okay, you had separation and divisions, and you had holy places and most holy places and holy of holies, and you had all this going on because people understand something. We're cut off from something. We're not sure what it is. And we're trying to get back to the garden. Now with that understanding, curtains, curtains. Slide number four, if you would, for me. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and rocks split. Next slide. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people, not all of them, just some selected ones, who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And so what you have to understand this morning, what I have to understand this morning, is that if you went into a Jewish temple during Jesus' time on earth, you would have found barriers everywhere. There were barriers where you could and could not go depending on your status. If you were a Gentile or an, that is a non-Jew, you can only go so far. Um, if you were a Jewish man, you can only go so far. If you were a woman, you can only go so far in certain areas of that tabernacle, um, temple, compound, and area. If you were a priest or a Levite, you can only go so far and into specific areas. If you were a high priest, only, only once a year on the holiest day of all, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, only the high priest after elaborate preparation ceremonies would be allowed to go into the Holy of Holies where the, where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt and, and where the presence, the felt presence of God was there. It's so thick, so powerful, so heavy. So what does all this tell us? It tells us no access, Right? The temple tells us no matter how hard you work, no matter how many times you sacrifice, no matter how much penance you do, no matter how much atonement, no matter how many offerings you make, no matter how many washings and cleansings you go through, you never get all the way in. You never get all the way to have full access to the presence of God because you're not qualified that we have been shut out from something from which we feel cut off and we're not so sure what it is and you know only one day of year that curtain that you saw up here on the screen that veil on the day of atonement a high priest 
would take the blood of a sacrificial animal and he would go behind that curtain and he would sprinkle some of that. Slide number 11, if you would, for me. If you were inside this holy of holies and you were, and the camera's down looking back at the curtain and it's, and, and it's looking at the mercy seat, the top of it and the, cherub, uh, the cherubim, the seraphim that are there, okay, he would go in, he would sprinkle just little drops of blood on top of that thing, and the, and the presence of God was in that room, but it was really thick over that mercy seat. Really thick, heavy. And so, and so uh, he would go in and do this and thus make atonement for the sins of the people. What's really interesting, and you really can't tell it here in the, on the slide, but that curtain was not just a flimsy, floppy, breezy curtain. It was a really like 60 to 80 feet tall. It was like 30 feet wide. It was incredibly thick, like two to three inches thick. And, and if it had to be repaired or replaced, it would take like 300 priests just to manipulate that thing into place. Now that's a curtain, okay? And on this curtain, as I said, there's these scenes from Eden. They're embroidered into the curtain as if to say mankind is trying to get back into the presence of God. We're trying to get back in a right relationship with God. We're trying to get back to the garden that we were kicked out of in Genesis chapter 3. Well, what we just read in our text today is that, back to slide 4, what we just read was that the moment Jesus Christ died, at that moment, this curtain, this incredibly two to three inch thick curtain, 60 to 80 feet tall, 30 feet wide, 300 priests to manipulate it, this curtain from top to bottom, meaning an eyewitness saw it, all right? It, it, it was torn. It was it was separated from top to bottom. God took his two invisible hands and he rips it from top to bottom until both parts, and now it's in two, the singular curtain is now in two parts. But what's God saying? Well, God's saying something with that. But before I, I tell you what God's saying through that, I want you to help me with something. In your bulletin, you've got a couple of handouts and there's one about the Stones Hill Biblical Worldview Weekends. I want you to take that piece of paper, if you would, for me. Take that piece of paper. On the count of three, I'm going to have you rip. I'm going to have you rip that piece of paper, okay? I want to give you a 4D audio effect of what that sounded like. These priests are in the temple, and they're working hard. It's 3 o'clock, right? 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They're doing their sacrificing. They're busy about the, the object of worship and 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 making sure they do everything within code and specification, okay? And at 3 o'clock, when Jesus says, it is finished, and on the, got your paper, okay, got your paper, all right? Take it out, all right? And, and if this is important to you, just got to tape it up when you get back home, all right? We'll just do it that way. Otherwise, just pitch it, all right? You got the information, all right? At 3 o'clock, he says it's finished. This huge curtain this thing that's like a wall this thing that keeps you out of the holy presence of God because you're not qualified all right then at three o'clock he says it's finished I'm gonna say one two three and you're all gonna rip it okay ready and just listen now ready one two three wow that's what it sounded like and when it made that noise the priest stopped and they looked in fact, Acts says a lot of priests came to faith. 
after this event, presumably after this event. What is God saying with such powerful 4D effect to all of us? The veil is torn, okay? So when God rips the temple curtain like that with the pictures of Eden woven into it, God was saying at least two things. He's saying it's a, it's a word of judgment. That is, it's all over. All you priests are fired. Religion is done. All sacrifices have been fulfilled. It's a message of judgment. It's over. And secondly, it's a message of salvation. Now it's all open. Come on in. You don't have to be religiously holy. You don't have to be uh, uh, making sure that you are Uh, subscribe to various rituals, tedious rituals of purity. The barrier is gone. Sacred clothing's not needed. Rituals of purity not needed. The the temple's not needed. The tabernacle's not needed. The end of sacrifices has come. It's the end of the priesthood. God says, no matter who you are, regardless of what your status is in life, you can come. You can come into the presence of God And you can know God personally. And not only did it allow people to come in, but when that curtain was torn, the presence of God goes out and it looks for other living vessels, living temples. He's looking for living vessels, living temples now in which he can now reside. And so this flaming sword of Genesis chapter 3, it claimed its victim. It claimed it's the one who was willing to sacrifice everything. It claimed Jesus Christ. The veil was parted and the way back to the garden was permanently reopened. It said before this moment, okay, before the curtain of the temple was torn in two, the message of the temple and the tabernacles, keep out, keep out, keep out. God lives here. You're not holy enough. You ever felt that way in your spiritual life? That this is something you're so, so foreign to you and you didn't feel like you belonged? Well, that was the message. But when this curtain, curtain was ripped in two, the message now, it goes from keep out, keep out, keep out. Come in, come in, come in. The veil is torn and one has torn it. And those who feel alienated don't have to feel alienated anymore. You don't have to be on the outside of something looking through the curtain, looking through the window, trying to figure out how to get on the inside of something you feel on the outside of. No, no, no. Jesus Christ has ripped the curtain. And any heart who will but have him, he will will leave that holy of holies and he will live inside you and me. On the count of three, everybody say curtains. One, two, three. Curtains. First word that changes your Easter. Second word, anchors. You and I need an anchor. Slide number 12, quickly here. Slide number 12, we read these words out of Hebrews, Hebrews 6. The author of Hebrews is trying to unpack the significance of of what I've just spent the last 15 minutes explaining to you, okay? And Hebrews chapter 6 On the screen, slide 12, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I love this, okay? All right, this is almost as good as hearing Joey in the middle of Carmel, okay? At Carmel Half Marathon. This is good. Listen to this. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. 
where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's his way of saying the Levitical priesthood, is, it, it's too small for this. This is a, a, a Melchizedekian priesthood. It's global in its scope. It's cosmic. No one is excluded because of what Christ has done. You don't have to have pedigree or, or credentials or status or elaborate rituals to prepare you for this. No, you've been prepared. It's been opened up. Come on in. That's the message of Easter 2023 and the enduring message. You know, one of the most important parts of a ship is the anchor. Slide number 13, if you would, for me. The, the anchor, it drops down into the water, and it, and it keeps a, a ship from drifting it with the tide. And if you try, and really we all need an anchor in life. That's a picture of the anchor that we need, right? And if you try to anchor to anything else in life other than that of Christ, we're subject to disappointment. We're subject to failure. If you try to anchor to money, it'll slip through your fingers. You can't anchor to it. It's a blessing, a gift from God to be used to honor him, but you can't anchor to it. If you try to anchor to fleeting relationships, your heart's going to hurt when that relationship fails. You can't anchor to relationships. Enjoy them, yes, but you can't anchor to them. Maybe you try to anchor to sports. Well, what happens when the team you pick to win, all, win it all, the team of 64, the field of 64, what happens when they lose the first round? All right? What do you anchor to then? What do you, well, some will say, well, I try to anchor to physical beauty. That's everything to me. Well, what happens when you get older? You can't anchor to it, right? And life's greatest anchor is Christ. And the Hebrew writer is trying to help you and I to see that. Because in Christ, all of our hopes get anchored. And so, and the Hebrew writer tells us, Back to Hebrew, the Hebrew verses in Hebrew 6, okay, he tells us that, that Christ ripped the curtain in two. He went in, not with the blood of animals, but with his own blood, and he put his own blood on the line. He shed it for the sins of the world. He had no sins to atone for himself. He was sinless, but he does it for the sins of the world. He's a high priest of the world. And here's the point. The anchor of Christ goes into a realm that we cannot go into. That's why it's so powerful. This image is so powerful on this Easter day. You're not qualified. I'm not qualified to do what he did. But he does it. He goes into a realm that we cannot go into. And you and I need this anchor that is firm and secure because I know. And I know that you know that there are life storms that come our way that we are not qualified to handle. There are medical storms. What do you do when you hear that phrase, your tests aren't good? What do you do? There, there are marital storms. Where do we go from here after that, that moment in our marriage? There are spiritual storms. God, where are you? I don't feel you right now. There are, there are emotional storms and anxiety that you cannot shake. See, we're not qualified to deal with these storms of life, but Christ is, and he's gone into a realm that you can't go into, and you can't go into, and I can't go into. He's the only one qualified that can go into this realm, put down an anchor, and do something for you and for the world, for all of us 
as we endeavor to weather these storms of life. In fact, the Hebrew writer writes in another place, Hebrews chapter 10, slide number 14, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God verse 22 slide 15 let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience that's salvation having our bodies washed with pure water that's baptism verse 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope we we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds verse 25 side 17 not giving up meeting together you are faithfully obeying that today as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching on the count of three everybody say anchors one two three anchors you need the anchor of christ okay you know you maybe we have the jesus revolution we talked about that this morning but you maybe have heard about the asbury revolution or revival young people at asbury college coming together I don't know how many hours, continuous hours of just worship and confession and praise to God. That has spread to secular universities. We're kind of living in another revolution. And it's interesting, one of the ladies that attended that shared how that in that group of young people, someone would pop up and say, I have an addiction problem. I have an addiction problem. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this addiction problem. And almost, when they were done, almost in unison, the whole congregation would say, the blood of Jesus covers you. All those hundreds of people. Somebody else would stand up and say, well, hey, I've got a... uh, I've got unforgiveness in my heart. I can't let something go. I've got something that my spouse has hurt me or my boyfriend, girlfriend has hurt me or my parents have hurt me. I can't let it go. I cycle past it. Things get better. I go to church. It gets a little better. Then it gets worse again. And I don't know how to deal with it. And and I'm frustrated. I'm tired. And they'd sit down and the whole congregation in unison. The blood of Jesus covers you. You see... Because they understand something, because of what Christ has done, that we can say, the blood of Jesus covers you. And I don't know what you could stand up and say today. Maybe you would stand up and say, well, I can't break the hold of money on my life. It's always dominated everything about me. And we would say to you today, the blood of Jesus covers you. Or maybe you could stand up and say, I have no self-control over my appetites. Maybe we could say to you, the blood of Jesus covers you. Maybe someone would say, I rooted for the LSU women's basketball team. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm happy to say, even if you rooted for them, the blood of Jesus covers you. Listen, you need Jesus. I need Jesus curtains anchors thirdly tombs tombs go to slide 18 if you would for me slide 18 
And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs, there it is, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people, Matthew, by the way, is the only one that records this uh, detail. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs, there it is again, after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And as I read that carefully, and I balance that out with everything else we know about the sequence, sequence of, of events here in this uh, time of resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection. So the tombs are opened by the earthquake at Jesus' crucifixion, I take it. Secondly, Jesus is raised three days later. That's what we're celebrating today. And then thirdly, the bodies of these holy ones are then raised and they, are, they enter the city and they appear to many people. Now, it's not all of them. It's only a selected few that was raised, whatever the many includes. Okay, but it was a sampling. So what, God's, what is God saying? He's not, just, he's not just dealing with Jesus and his life. He is saying something that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. That it's not just Jesus that's going to resurrect, it's many that are going to resurrect, and that these are like a theatrical um, preview of coming attractions. It's, a, it's a, a trailer for the ultimate resurrection movie that's yet going to play in, at some point in the near future in the history uh, of mankind and the world. Okay? So this select group, Slide 21, this select group came out of those tombs, not in immortal bodies, but in a raised body, kind of like Lazarus was raised, eventually died again. They were raised in these bodies, and they were recognizable evidently by those who knew them. If it was people from the Old Testament, how would they even know them, what they looked like, and know that it was a, a, mir a miraculous thing? So these were people that potentially even died during the week Jesus died. And so they're recently deceased, and they up, and they're there, and it's a, it's a Joey moment, okay? It's like, what are you doing here, Aunt Rachel or Uncle John? What are you doing here? And there they were after only having been buried maybe just a few days. It was a preview of coming attractions. So we have curtains, and we have anchors, and we have tombs. And the reverberation of what happened on Calvary reverbs out. And as soon as the head of Jesus drops, he spiritually stormed the gates of hell with authority and power at the moment of his death. And this whole thing shakes. And the power of that is felt by some select saints who had recently departed and they ran out of the grave so this morning we've got a torn curtain and it says there's a way in for into God for all of us regardless of our status or our pedigree or credentials and I want you to be thinking about something with me okay we're going to do communion in just a second and you're going to be invited with a whole host of other people to come up and do communion and by that say the blood of Jesus avails for me. I want him in my life. 
I, I step into his world and I invite him into mine. Because at Easter, the torn curtain says there's a way in to God for all. The lodged anchor says there's stability in every life storm. The split tombs tell us there's a way out of the grave. And what starts with that flaming sword in Genesis? We had one that went under the flaming sword, as it were. He, he goes through the death of it to open up the way so that you and I can come in. Even though we don't have the credentials and pedigree to, to, to be able to do so, we now can because of what Christ has done. Curtains, anchors, and tombs. Three words to change your Easter. Slide number 23 in the movie Jesus Revolution. Chuck Smith is a middle-aged California pastor, and he's struggling to understand the youth culture of America in 1968. And he sees it, and he doesn't know what to do about it. Um, he thinks it's just filled with bad music. You know, the youth of 1968 and 70, they dress kind of funny. All right, and that may actually be true, all right. They did dress funny, but it's kind of cool funny, a cool funny, right? They kind of smelled bad. They were a little dirty, okay. They had kind of a, they didn't have the pedigree, all the things that you think of about normalcy and, and success in life. And so... It was a, like the hippies were dominant in a cultural landscape, and the churches didn't know what to do. Chuck Smith didn't know what to do about that. How do they talk about uh, the Lord and walking with him and, and curtain and anchors and tombs when you've got sex, drugs, and rock and roll just cranking? What chance does that have in a culture like that? Well, in the movie... Smith has no desire to change his methods, but he faces a dilemma when his teenage daughter brings home a Jesus-loving hippie hitchhiker. And he actually gets to meet and talk to this hippie flower child out of the 70s, okay? And it did something. And while other churches didn't adjust very well, Chuck Smith decided his church in California was going to be one of the ones that made this adjustment. And he opened the doors, even though some in the church were disapproving of it. And God used his church to reach a generation. In fact, Greg Laurie says in, his, in the book of this about the story, um, one night he says about 15 hippies showed up. And you could hear the little bells tinkling on the ankles. And they were wearing granny dresses and mom jeans and cutoffs and tie-dye shirts and headbands and flowers and their long hair, which was parted down the middle. And that was the beginning of a Jesus revolution. In the movie, Chuck Smith's daughter was ready to jettison Christianity. And a couple weeks ago, Tim Skimmerhorn is here today, was telling me he actually went to see the movie before I got to see it. And he said, and he teared up when he was telling me. He said, what's really moving about that movie is that his daughter was ready to jettison Christianity. But his dad was courageous, her dad was courageous enough to say, no, this generation matters. They matter to God. And there has to be a bridge. Somehow we can, we can modify and change the methods without changing the message of curtains and anchors and tombs. That message stays the same, but we've got to modify the methods so we don't lose a whole generation. Well, Pastor Lori Slide 26, Pastor Lori came up in this movement. And in 1970, Pastor, he's Pastor Lori now, an evangelist, but he wasn't at the time. 
In fact, Greg was just another California teenager, and that's him there on the left, the, the cover of the book on the right that he wrote that I have and that I read maybe two or three months ago. And Greg was just another California teenager, right? He was drifting. He was doing drugs. He was pessimistically hating any type of authority, right? He's going to stick it to the establishment. And he was, that was kind of the way things rolled in the 70s. Greg didn't know who his biological father was until he was well into his 40s. When I read that, I thought about curtains. He's on the other, other side of a curtain wondering what it's like to have a dad. Maybe that's you today. You're on the other side of this curtain. What, what a family's like. What a father's like. What a mother's like. What is life like without my ecstasy or my meth? Or, or what is life like when I do a normal marriage relationship. What does that look and feel like? On the other side of the curtain. That was Greg Laurie's experience. Greg's mother was married and divorced seven times. And she had run away from her, her Christian home and family when she was 17. She was seeking the bright lights of Hollywood. And she met a sailor on a dance floor one night in Long Beach, California in 1952. And when that sailor found out that she was pregnant, that Charlene was pregnant, Greg's, Lori's mother was pregnant, he hit the trail and left her high and dry. And she quickly married her next boyfriend, and it didn't last. And in between husbands, she moved around a lot, and his mom would hang out in the clubs. Greg writes about this. And he would just sit in the corner and draw pictures to occupy himself while his mom did her her thing and growing up he said he knew he wanted something different but still he was caught up in the drug sex scene of the of the roaring and crazy 60s and 70s Greg will tell you he was looking for an anchor okay he had this curtain on the outside of something he couldn't get in on the inside of he was also looking for an anchor something to anchor my life my mom has boyfriend after boyfriend husband after husband and, and I look in the room and I see them in the room and I don't know who he is and they leave their messes and they create all create all of this crap in our house and I have to clean it up and they smacked around on him he, he grew up hating the establishment hating the world he needed an anchor and he'd tell you that well, his friends aggravated him. Come on, Greg, do the sex thing, man. We're all doing the sex thing. You do the sex thing, man. Come on, Greg. He was hesitant at first, but he said one night, I smoked enough dope to knock out an elephant. And I got together with a friend's girlfriend who said that she was willing. He says, I hardly remember anything about that night. It wasn't that special. But all I know is that I knew that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. I was longing for something that I had never seen, but I knew must exist somewhere. His home life, alcohol, casual sex, dysfunction, distrust all through it. He grew up not trusting adults and, like I said, wanting to stick it to the establishment, this parade of men into and out of his mom's life and his life. And she would slosh and slur how much she loved him and yet yell at him the next boozy breath. And somehow in all of that, Greg said, I was on my own. I was on the other side of a curtain. I, I needed an anchor. 
And eventually I started to feel lifeless in a spiritual tomb. But in 1970, Greg Laurie was one of the ones baptized on that California coast in 1970. He met Jesus, and he writes in his book how he met a girl who carried a Bible the size of an atlas. And that helped. And she was bold, and she was courageous. They're still together. And they were married in February, uh, on February 2nd, 1974. They had two sons. He will tell you in his book, very frankly, those two boys broke his heart. One of the sons was killed in a car crash. The other one kind of did the drug thing for a period of time. Greg hit bottom, and in that bottom where he hit, he said, there was people in my life that God used to anchor him. So many words, to anchor him in that time. So this morning, maybe your life's like Greg Laurie. You're feeling the other side of a curtain. You're on the outside of something you don't feel like you belong into. But you like, you're, mis- you're, you're intrigued and you want to know, you want to get back to the God. You want to be fellowship with God. You want to have that, know that, and personally experience that. Maybe you're here and you feel and sense the curtain. Secondly, maybe this morning your life is topsy-turvy and the storms are raging. These various storms I've referenced earlier in the message, and you don't know what to do about those. This morning, there's an anchor. And the blood of Jesus covers you. In fact, I'm just going to look at all of you. I'm going to tell you now. The blood of Jesus covers you. It covers you. Whatever you brought in here today, I speak his blood over every one of you. Now you can believe and live in light of that truth. And so curtains and anchors and tombs, an open temple, okay? The curtain, the veil is ripped. You can go right in. An open tomb. God is dealing with our spiritual lostness and and, and spiritual death and decay and in him and in Jesus we can be renewed and we can come out of that grave and and even when we go through the tough places in life we can see and have a response like the centurion had after seeing this and if you would just pull up Matthew 27 verse 54 for me okay and it's the response of the centurion and this is how we'll wrap it up today very uh, Matthew 27 50 through 54 those verses and it says uh, next slide, and it says, maybe there is no next slide, okay? What it says is that the, is the Roman centurion saw it, and he said, truly, this, an outsider saw it, a Roman centurion, the guy that just spiked the, the guy to the cross. He says, and, and when all this happens, the earthquake, you know, the darkness, all this stuff happens. He says, truly, this was the Son of God. You feel cut off from something that you're not sure what it is this morning. Jesus has ripped that curtain away. And he says, I'm the one you're hungry for. I've been the one you've been hungry for all these years. I'm your way back into Eden. I went under the sword in order to get you back into the Garden of Eden. I paid the price so that you can come on in and you can live in light of the incredible hope of resurrection. And maybe it's time for you to run out of your grave. You know, before Christ and Easter, it was death to go into the Holy of Holies. 
But now that we're past Easter, it is death to stay out of it. Don't stay out of it. You see, what happens is we can't beg God to heal us and still stay loyal to what's killing you. You can't live that way. You can't beg God to heal you and stay loyal to what's killing you. Before Christ and Easter, it was death to go into the Holy of Holies. Now it's death to stay out of it because you're left into your own devices. Come to him today. Come, take communion. Ushers, if you would, come prepare us uh, for communion. And what we're going to do here this morning, uh, we'll just have the, uh, our attendance. To, and the, by the way, the tables are beautiful. Thank you so much, decoration team, for setting us up this way. They're going to wait upon you with communion today. The body and blood of Jesus, as it were, the bread of communion, the wine of communion. Just take a piece of bread, tear it off of the loaf, dip it into the wine of communion, and then take that in. And by that say, I, wanna, I want Jesus in my life. I want him to rule and reign in my life and be Lord of all, curtains, anchors, and tombs. Okay? What we want you to do here this morning is... I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, people in the center, if you would, just come down the center aisle. People on the wings, just come down your aisle closest to the center, and then everybody just flow back along the edges of the walls, okay? And that'll help us uh, organize this in such a way we can get it done and not run over each other, okay? Curtains, anchors, tombs. He's here and ready and waiting for you. Let's make 2023 Easter the most incredible Easter ever. Come home. Come home. Let me pray with you. The music will begin. And once the music begins, then we're going to invite you to, the ushers will release you row by row. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day. And thank you so much for the word that we have from the Lord today. Truly, this is a revelation. A revelation of Jesus and what he's done. And Lord, we want to galvanize on this revelation what an incredible word has been spoken to us and through us and over us today. And Lord, I pray that this revelation of who you are and what you've done and why you came and how you went about saving us and on what authority you now stand and, and on what authority you can now proclaim that the blood of Jesus, your blood covers us. And this morning we have this opportunity to say yes to that invitation and personally say, yes, I want that covering in my life. I need Jesus, the anchor. I need to be released from my spiritual tomb. I need to get past this curtain that I've always been on the outside of. Lord, we would personally respond to that message in saving faith. And by, by doing so, we would come forward and receive communion today. We ask all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you. Oh, to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone And mercy fills the streets To look upon The one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity There will be a day When all will bow before Him There will be a day When death will be no more Standing face to face
stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and on that day we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain forever he shall This goes out to every outcast, to the just don't quite fit in. Every wrong way, runaway rebel, so ashamed of where you've been. This goes out to every searcher, trying to fill that empty space. Well, your searching days are over now, everything's about to change.
Hear that sweet forgiveness song. Congregation, thank you so much for listening so well. This is where Just track with me all the way. And um, so much love to each of you and your families. You know, started out today down there in Carmel. And the first thing, when I heard my name, I wanted to stop and go over and give her a hug. But that would have done a number on that pacing thing. All right? So I don't know that she's here today. She's probably at her church. Next time I see Maddie, though, I'm going to give her that hug. Today, you're not running a race. You're here. It's Sunday, Easter Sunday. God gave you a beautiful day. Before you get out of here today, you do me a favor. Just say hello to one person. Just one person. And if you're so bold and so audacious, you might even give them a hug. All right? Give them that hug that I couldn't give yesterday and wanted to so badly. Okay? You have been, and your kids look lovely. They're so beautiful. Take some time. Take some pictures with those guys. Remember that. It's a, it, you'll appreciate it a few years from now. Will you stand with me? Dave, will you, uh, I'm going to get the mic. I want you to pray us out of here, okay? You have raised such a lovely daughter who cheered me on yesterday, and you have cheered all of us on so many Easter Sundays. So you share with your heart and pray with us. Okay. Dear Lord, uh, we are just so thankful to be here today um, to acknowledge the community, uh, to, to acknowledge you and the community. I pray you, um, my, I, I'm just so thankful for al allowing the ripping of the curtain to be able to uh, build a bridge from a, um, a holy God and uh, to a common man and to be able to to uh, welcome us into the holiest of places um, in communion with you. And so I pray for communion moments this week. Um, and they, they might be small or that might be large, whatever it might be, in conversations with one another. Um, and I pray that we might um, populate our life with those that might cheer us on in this endeavor to have communion with our Creator, but also just share the joy um, and the love and the mercy with one another that we're created to be. And um, um, as we just send each other out, we pray that we might feel a, a, a feeling of joy and of peace that uh, passes all understanding. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world today that's just, uh, that's just really uh, giving us a, a, a hitch on our get-along um, and just, uh, just struggling uh, in, in many ways, uh, personally, interpersonally. Um, so I pray you give us a pe that peace that passes all understanding because you have, you have um, done the work on the cross for us. You have covered us with your blood that fills so many wounds in our life and in through our life as we venture out into society um, and be, give us a spirit of boldness, not timidity, as we uh, boldly proclaim your word but also your love. Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It was so good to see her though. Oh man. Yeah. She just jumped with